What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? The who dat, you know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder Podcast here, back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, you know where to subscribe by now, theathletic.com slash Holder. You can jump on there, get all of our great podcasts, and you get to subscribe to everything that has everything to do with The Athletic, our New Orleans market, our national market, our international market. You get all of that with your subscription, so you can jump on there, theathletic.com slash Holder, or... If you want to just listen to the pods, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, they're all over the podcastosphere. I don't think that's a word, but hey, we'll just we make up words uh, as we go along here. So, Jeff, uh, I hope you had a merry Christmas, and I hope you are uh, not looking to get too wild and crazy. I know usually you are on the ball or the floor de lis when the floor de lis drops downtown <laughs> New Orleans. So, I hope you're not that crazy this year. You know, it's funny you bring that up. I was wondering, do you think they're even going to do that this year with the pandemic? I don't know if they'll do that with, uh, you know, the limitations on large gatherings. Well, I know that they are going to have the floor to lead drop, but it will not be for public consumption. You can watch it on TV. I think Big, Big Frida is the host as part of the Dick Clark show. So maybe it could be you and Big Frida. I think that would be a hit. Yeah, we actually spend a lot of time together, Larry. We've I could see good it. Friends go back. Yeah, I could see it. Uh, Twerking all over New Orleans. I could see together. you and Big Frida doing the bounce music. There's no doubts. No, no, no doubts. Yeah. No bounce. <laughs> That's funny. We had a, uh, this is back bef- before she became big. We were at a, uh, a run actually down in the Marini Bywater area. This was probably 10 years ago when she was just kind of taken off. And she was the musical like accompaniment to the, to the uh, festival after the run. And so we were all out there. We didn't know what was going on. And, of course, she just dominated the stage. And um, we uh, got our introduction that day. That was my introduction to Big Frida. That would, Pretty awesome. that would be hard to follow. Like, if you did a run and then you had to listen to her music yeah. and you'd be bouncing, I'd be exhausted just from bouncing, much less running and then bouncing. So. Uh, people, people were, and uh, <laughs> we were trying to figure out what the hell to do. <laughs> I think that's when I went and got a Michelob Ultra. Yes, exactly. So speaking of uh, bouncing and running, good segue here. Alvin Kamara certainly did his fair share of that uh, on Christmas Day. And, Jeff, his historic performance. I mean, we don't need to really go back and rehash the game. I know we will a little bit. But, uh, look, Alvin Kamara has been the talk of the NFL. And he was already out there this year as being one of the best players in the NFL and this just put an exclamation point on it. So so much so where uh, you and me are going to talk about how he should at least be in the conversation for, say, Offensive Player of the Year. I don't think he's going to be in the MVP conversation just because we kind of know how that award goes. But look, in other years, maybe he actually would be in that conversation. Yeah, and I know you, you've done this research. I haven't, but uh, for running back to win the MVP, it's almost impossible these days. It seems like the league is skewed so much towards quarterbacks. It's almost – the award has almost become who's the best quarterback on the team with the best record. That's kind of what it's devolved into uh, because the league is basically built around the passing game. So for him to even be in the conversation, I think, is a 
testament to the season he's had and the number of touchdowns he's scored and the total yards from scrimmage, kind of the historic run he's been on. Of course, what he did in a primetime spotlight before a national audience, global stage, if you will, uh, putting together a six touchdown. I mean, we're going to look back on that, Larry, um, and it's really going to, I think, sink in what we saw. I mean, just how unprecedented that performance was. Now, look, I understand. I watched the game again. The offensive line dominated. You really can lump them in with Alvin Kamara because they were incredible in that game. But uh, some of these things that happen in the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era, some of these these moments that we've experienced, I think we've seen so many of them over the years that we start taking them for granted. And, man, I'm telling you, in 10 years from now, we're going to look back and go, that was crazy. We saw a guy score six touchdowns in a single game. It's never – obviously, it's never going to happen again in our lifetime. Well – you mentioned the offensive line, and we'll get back to Kamara here for a minute, but I put in my column that day, you know that offensive line, after what happened to them last year against Minnesota, was looking for vengeance. And they knew the caliber of opponent that they were playing. They knew that they were not up to snuff as the unit from a year ago, and they just pushed them around. I mean, Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek are just bullying people. I mean, it's almost like one of the plays, Teron Armstead is like uh, the, the, the blind side when uh, they show Michael Orr pushing a, a kid into the stands. It's almost like yeah, Teron yeah. Armstead did that on one play <laughs> uh, and, and just trying to make a point. Uh, so obviously, look, they, they played very well in that game. But look, Alvin Kamara, you, as you said, it is a challenge for a running back to even get into the MVP conversation these days much less win it. And the last time we saw someone win it at running back was in 2012 with Adrian Peterson. That's the year he rushed for 2,097 yards, had 217 receiving yards, only had 13 touchdowns. But you hit that 2,000 mark, and you were going to be in the conversation. But just to kind of put some perspective uh, where Alvin Kamara is in the conversation Let's go back to Sean Alexander. We'll go back from 2005. He won the MVP award. Well, actually, he, was, he finished fourth in the MVP award uh, that year. This is crazy, fourth. And he had 1,880 rushing yards and 28 combined touchdowns, and he finished fourth, just to kind of put you in perspective. Ladanian Tomlinson in 2006, 1,815 rushing yards, 500 receiving yards, 31 combined touchdowns. Of course, that year, he beat Drew Brees for the MVP in 2006. Michael Turner, uh, he was tied for runner-up with Chad Pennington as Peyton Manning ran away with that award. He had 1,700 rushing yards, 17 touchdowns. Uh, you look at, uh, I already mentioned a 2012 year. In 2014, DeMarco Murray, tied for third, only got two votes, had 1,845 yards, 13 touchdowns, uh, uh, that's rushing yards. He added 4,000 receiving. So he had 2,200 total yards. Zeke Elliott, 2016, he had about 2,000 total yards and 16 touchdowns. And then 2017, Todd Gurley finished second. Uh, that was about 2,100 yards total and 19 touchdowns. And so all of those numbers I just spit out. Here's what Alvin Kamara has. He has 1,668 total yards, 21 touchdowns. So he is not quite in that hemisphere as far as some of those guys. He's close, 
the touchdown totals have been eye-popping. But MVP conversation, he's close. Not quite probably going to get there just because we have Aaron Rodgers and we have Patrick Mahomes. And Derrick Henry's been incredible, too. Uh, maybe the shine has kind of fallen off him a little bit after losing to Green Bay. Maybe it comes on to Kamara. Maybe Kamara scoops up a vote. But I do think he has a legitimate shot at the Offensive Player of the Year award. I mean, just last year his teammate did it uh, uh, with uh, Michael Thomas, of course. And so I think Kamara should be in that conversation for sure. Well, here's the other thing that people overlook when they just start looking at the numbers on Kamara. His numbers are a little short of, say, Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry, but he hasn't touched the ball nearly as much. I think the numbers I saw were about 270 touches for Kamara, and both Cook and Kamara, uh, Henry are up in 350-360 range. Right. So that's just a byproduct of the Saints' offense, which we all know over the years they've always spread the ball around. There's never been one dominant player except for maybe last year with Mike Thomas. That was an outlier season. So he's being penalized for being in a much more diverse offense than Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry. And I think that's, you know, not fair, obviously. And I would love to see Alvin Kamara make all pro. That, that's one thing I think he's definitely deserving of. And I'm sure that Cook and Henry are probably the front runners uh, for first team all pro. The Saints, Larry, have only had one all pro running back in the history of the franchise. And that was George Rogers, I think, in 81. Uh, and if anybody deserves it, uh, it would be Kamara this season with what he's done. I do think that the all-pro voting, they now have an all-purpose or a flex spot, if I'm not mistaken. So that would certainly open the door for Alvin Kamara. And I almost feel like just because of the way that the NFL is these days that they altered it. And I'm literally looking this up on the fly. So uh, don't mind me while I'm just spewing, but I'm, but like, for instance, last year, Christian McCaffrey was the first team, all pro running back. And he was also the first team, all pro flex. So there is a flex spot, but there's only one. Well, that might be, his right wouldn't you think you would think so it would it would come down to i mean it's it's a three three person race with henry cook and alvin Kamara. and look i mean second team all pro isn't something to to sneeze at but still like last year derrick henry was the second team all pro running back but he was the also the second team all pro flex spot so there obviously seems to be some flaw in the system of, of doing that right. but I mean, Alvin Kamara's got to be in it. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, He's easily the Saints MVP this year. Uh, There's no question in my mind about that. And the fact we're bringing him up in, in, I would say, legitimate MVP conversation, not not saying he's going to win. And if people, you got to understand, when you hear MVP voting, you only get one vote. You're voting for one person. So it's not like you're hot. You have a Heisman ballot. It, it, that's why it could be a landslide. Like Lamar Jackson wins unanimously, and people would be, "How can Russell Wilson have never gotten an MVP right. vote?" So that, that that's bunk because if someone was much better than him that year, he's never going to get a vote. So just you have right. to think of it in those terms. Yeah, that's a really good point because that's just I don't know where that narrative started, but it's ludicrous because the way the voting goes for APL Pro, it's completely different than. Uh, other kind of voting, and I and I do believe that he deserves and warrants conversation. 
but let's face it, with what Aaron Rodgers did the other night, I mean, it's he's going to win the award. I mean, his numbers are ridiculous. Forty, I think it's forty-three touchdowns and four interceptions. Right. Uh, in in this modern era, that's an astronomical season, and probably worthy of it because when I watch the Packers play, to be honest with you, I don't feel like they're that good. But he is so good that he lifts the the play of everyone around him. And he kind of gives them a puncher's chance of beating anybody because he's so talented. Uh, so I have to I have to say he probably deserves it more than anybody this season. The way they played and the way he's kind of lifted that team. Because if you take him off that lineup and you look around the rest of the Packers roster, there's not a ton of guys that blow you away talent wise. Uh, so it's a credit to, to Aaron Rodgers. No, I would agree with you. Look, Aaron Rodgers is going to win it. He should win it, and that's just. Look, it's like when LaDainian Tomlinson beat Drew Brees in 2006. I mean, LaDainian Tomlinson deserved the award. Brees actually got votes, so it wasn't unanimous. But, like, Tomlinson deserved the award. It's just sometimes you run into years like this and, uh, you know, say if Aaron Rodgers had thrown eight picks and threw for 35 touchdowns. Well, obviously the Packers probably wouldn't be as good, and then Kamara would be even more in that conversation uh, because I think Patrick Mahomes, even though he's spectacular – I think the the shine has fallen off a little bit in terms of that. People figure, all right, he could be the, he could maybe get a voter a couple votes and be runner up to to Aaron Rodgers. And I know in Vegas, I mean, Rodgers is the the leader right now, and so it doesn't. I think the only three people even in the race as far as the odds makers go are Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. I mean, I think even Derrick Henry after uh, this weekend's performance I mean he didn't play bad he had 90 yards but Tennessee just got beat down against Aaron Rodgers so that kind of puts him uh, back behind the eight ball a little bit but uh, but Jeff look you mentioned the Packers and I have a column that came up this morning on the athletic and it revolves around the potential playoff matchups for the Saints and I'm assuming writing that story that Chicago will lose to Green Bay. Obviously, if they win, the Bears help out and the and the Seahawks help out and the, and the Saints win. Then they are the number one seed, and so they play no one the opening weekend. So that's the first, that's the best case scenario. But I, I've kind of broke down by position uh, how each team, and I have four teams in there: Tampa. Chicago, the Rams, and the Cardinals. And where I think each position group sets up as far as best matchup to worst matchup for the Saints. And my overall take was that I still feel like the Bears would be the best matchup for the Saints. But the Bears are kind of going on the right track. And my worst matchup would be Tampa. And it's kind of coincidental uh, and weird just because the Rams could be without their quarterback. Kyler Murray's banged up, and I'm still thinking that uh, the Bears would be the best, and then uh, you know Tampa would be the the worst, even though the Saints have beaten them twice. So it's like it's funny how my logic is, but you got to follow me in my story where I'm looking at position groups saying, all right, well this matchup matches up a little better here and there. I'm still thinking Chicago would be their best matchup. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Chicago's playing a lot better. We we talked about this before we went on air. Um, They've won three in a row. Uh, they've been kind of revitalized with, of all people, Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. Uh, looked like he was going to be out the door in Chicago, and now uh, he's playing probably the best football of his career. 
And I actually think they've got a real legitimate shot of beating the Packers in that game. I mean, you know they're playing for their playoff lives in that game. I know Green Bay's got incentive. But Green Bay, the worst they could do, I think, is finish the number two seed. So uh, I'd have to check that, by the way. I guess it's possible they could be the number three seed. But um, I just feel like Chicago, I mean, it's a rivalry game. They're going to be playing at home. I know there's not much of a home field advantage anymore. Uh, but I like their chances. The game I'm a little more worried about, if I'm a Saints fan, would be Seattle winning, actually. Like, I could see that playing out. If Chicago takes care of business. The Saints win. And then Seattle goes to San Francisco after that big emotional win against the Rams and clinching the division title. And San Francisco, say what you will, I mean, I know they're injury riddled, but they're still playing hard. I mean, they just spoiled the, the Arizona Cardinals' potential playoff hopes. Uh, so I think that is a very dangerous game for the Seahawks. And that would be brutal if, if the Bears were to win, the Saints win, and then somehow the Seahawks lay an egg and, and it all falls apart. And really, in the grand scheme of things, if you are the two seed and you're the Saints and you're starting to play well, I think that's the most important thing, that they just need to start playing well. And if you get to the NFC Championship game and, all right, you got to go play up and snow this, that, and the other, uh, look, I think the Saints could be equipped well enough to go up there and make things happen just because, uh, you know, it's not like, Drew Brees has never played in snow. You know, the elements are the elements. Green Bay needs to deal with them. The Saints would need to deal with them. But at that point, let's say you get that far, and we're jumping many steps ahead. That would have meant the Saints, because I'm assuming they're going to beat Carolina. They're kind of just walking into the offseason looking for a new GM. Uh, They might be looking for a new quarterback, depending on how that goes. Uh, But – Saints have a sound win against Minnesota. Say they beat Carolina. Then they beat two good teams leading up to, to Green Bay. I mean, they would be kind of on a roll. So I think that, that would that's more important than venue to me. Uh, just get in, win, and just be playing good football. And you're hoping, if you're the Saints, you get healthy. I mean, they have so many people that are banged up right now. You're just hoping that they get healthy. You saw a little bit Marquez Callaway coming back. I mean, that added a little bit of juice to the offense. You're assuming Mike Thomas comes back, Deontay Harris comes back. And that patchwork offensive line looked pretty darn good, even though it was a bad Minnesota team. That patchwork offensive line looked pretty darn good uh, against the Vikings. Yeah, I almost feel like, Larry, that Peyton and the, the brain trust with the Saints has managed this last month or so almost like an NBA team, like the Lakers. Or the Spurs, the, like the, rest management. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. It's almost like we know we're in the playoffs. Uh, our our goal is to win the Super Bowl, not just to make the playoffs. So we're going to get healthy and make a run at this thing. This could be Drew's last season. Uh, let's get them all back. And, and really, relatively speaking, I know they're banged up, but they're the healthiest team in the NFL. I mean, the only uh, – I think, barring a, a major injury in this last game, they'll probably go into the playoffs – uh, with only one player of their two deep roster that's out, and that would be Quan Alexander, who who obviously was a, a big loss last week. Uh, but they started the season. Go back and look at their depth chart. Uh, they've got everybody available. Even I mean, guys like Deontay Harris and Mike Thomas were assuming they come back. That's preposterous. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of the NFL, at least in, in the last decade, where everybody is almost healthy except for one guy this late in the season, and that's a a testament to the way they've managed this, these injuries, the COVID situation, how they've handled that. 
uh, they've done a really good job, and the, the stars are kind of aligning a little bit for this team, I think. Well, like, like I said, we could touch on the Vikings game a little bit because you look at the score, it's certainly a bit of a blowout, 19 points. It turns out to be that way. And yet there were a lot of points in that game where even though Kamara's running through them, the Saints didn't really hold a comfortable lead until near the end of the fourth quarter. They put on that extra touchdown. You know, it's been a while since they've led comfortably. And that goes all the way back to, I'd say, week 12 when they beat up on the quarterbackless Broncos. And even that game yep. was a little wacky. I mean, they won big, 31-3. It was an unorthodox win. Uh, but it was it was kind of a different thing that we saw. And then, of course, they feel like they're leading Atlanta comfortably. Almost lose. They win, but almost lose. Philadelphia, they lose. The Chiefs, never really into it. They climb back up, make it look respectable. And then it took them a little while to get going. And I feel like, though, that... This game, I know the opponent, they're not the same Vikings we've seen the last few years, but I feel like you get that mojo, and boy, you start, start offense starts clicking, and Drew Brees doesn't even have to throw touchdowns. I mean, uh, I, I had someone telling me, man, well, Drew Brees, the numbers are deceptive, this, that, and the other. Well, they're deceptive because you had seven rushing touchdowns. What are you <laughs> supposed to do? I mean, he threw for 300 right. yards uh, after a couple of mishaps. Look, the interception to Jared Cook, the almost interception to Marquez Callaway, you'd think, oh, my gosh, Drew Brees is losing confidence in those guys. And then, like, the next drive or two, he's throwing both of those guys, and they're making key catches. So it's not like, you know, if you fix the problem, then you move the ball and you, you can run through them. I think Drew Brees would take seven rushing touchdowns all day and win by 19 without any problems. I, I agree with you 100%. I thought this was the first time we've seen the offense – really kind of look like that juggernaut Saints offense we've all grown used to. They could kind of do what they wanted against Minnesota. Now, Minnesota's defense is uh, pretty bad right now. I mean, Troy Aikman came out and said they're they're pretty awful. You don't hear him be that blunt sometimes. Uh, but the fact is, Thomas Morstead did not punt. Yeah, they had a couple interceptions. One of them probably should have been caught. One of them was just a little bit of a late throw by Breeze. But I thought he looked good, to be honest with you. He had some big-time throws. He threw a ball like, uh, you know, I think 40 yards in the air. I mean, he's, he's looked much better the last week or so than he did in the previous games, and I think he's going to be continuing to get better. He said he didn't wasn't in nearly as much pain, and the offensive line kind of got back to the form that we need them to be at, or at least we expect them to be at uh, going forward. So – I thought it was exactly what you said. This team needs to start playing better, get some confidence. I was a little, little taken aback or disturbed, if you will, by the defense because I, I just thought the running, the run defense, again, showed some leakage uh, against a really good running team. But you knew that's what Minnesota was going to have to do with Dalvin Cook. And the Saints, uh, especially on some of those outside zone plays, Larry, just well, there was no one there. It was little – confusing to me how they were able to run the ball so easily at times, but eventually the Saints just put them away. Yeah, look, it's not like Dalvin Cook had 150 yards. I mean, he had 75 yards. Uh, he scored once. Uh, that was something fun I did all day. Uh, every time Camaro scored, two to one Camaro over Cook. I was basically being fantasy football watcher uh, for myself personally, <laughs> honestly. And uh, so, yeah, Alvin Camaro six, uh, Dalvin Cook one. And, uh, but, 
I do think that an injury that we really don't talk about at all, uh, I think Malcolm Brown losing him for a few weeks at nose tackle has been an, an issue. And so he was limited in practice last week. They held him back. I mean, maybe they hold him back this week uh, just because you want to have him ready for the playoffs. But maybe you, you play him if he's ready to go finally. You play him and get a game under him before the playoffs. But I think that is an injury that we haven't talked a lot about. But ever since they've gotten him, their run defense over the last couple of years has certainly improved. And he plays 50% of the snaps. And those are run snaps. And he takes on blocks and helps other guys get involved. So uh, I think we could see a little bit of an improvement uh, if Malcolm Brown is able to return healthy. Yeah, and I, we also have to remember that, you know, Trey Hendrickson didn't play last week uh, because of an injury. And hopefully they get him back soon. Uh, so they were banged up along the off- defensive line. But uh, I, and I, I agree with you. Malcolm Brown's kind of an underrated guy in there. But I do think some of their issues are – more widespread than that. They're just, you know, not getting uh, the right fits and the way their, uh, you know, their technique is. They're getting outflanked on leverage outside and thing, things that they weren't doing earlier this season. We're not seeing Demario get there on some of those outside run, play, run plays. But that said, uh, you know, they're not going to face, I think, a running team as good as Minnesota the rest of the way. I mean, that's their bread and butter, and they're very good at it. Uh, so let, let's see if this continues to be a trend going forward. I don't think it will be. Uh, and, and I agree with you on the big picture, Larry. Uh, I wanted to come back to that. If the Saints don't get the number one seed, it's not the end of the world at all. I know that's their goal. And I think there's two different narratives here people are confusing. You know, I tweeted out the other day saying, you know, the Saints, if they can pro- avoid it, they don't want to go up to Green Bay and play in the snow. And, of course, all Saints Twitter attacked me and said, Oh, you know, you think they can't win? I didn't say they couldn't win. I said if they had their druthers, they prefer to play at home. I think that goes without saying. If they can avoid it and have home games, they would prefer that. That doesn't mean that they can't go up and win at Lambeau Field. I think this team's built to win that game. But let's face it, if you can avoid going up and playing in those conditions against a team that is used to playing in those conditions and you aren't, uh, yes, you definitely want to have home field advantage. But I agree, you're going to guarantee yourself two home games if you get the number two seed and then if you if you have to go up and play a game against Green Bay and that's not a given I mean Green Bay could get beat in the divisional round easily and you could end up getting another home game in the NFC championship game so a lot could a lot could happen there I think you have to like the Saints chances of being able to go up there and win in a in a 50-50 game with this as good as this team is at playing defense and running the ball what if the Packers have to face Tom Brady and the Bucks in the divisional round, and the Bucks beat them again. I mean, right. that's not out of the realm of possibility. I'm w- I'm with you on that. And uh, I think if you're talking Saints Packers, I'd be more worried about Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams rather than the conditions. <laughs> I mean, that 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 would be exactly. that would be me. So, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, but look, I think uh, we haven't talked a lot about Tampa, but I know that they haven't played great teams the last few games, but they are starting to click. I mean, I, they're still NFL teams. And if you start to get rolling and Tom Brady starts to get rolling and then that you're seeing Mike Evans and Antonio get Brown getting more involved and Gronk and Cameron Brait and Chris Godwin, I mean, that offense gets a little bit rolling and Tom in the playoffs, that's why in my column I have them as the worst matchup. I, I, you don't want to face them. Uh, if you don't have to, uh, and that would in, have to involve the Bucks falling out of the five seed 
and the Saints fall into three. So it's it's a remote chance anyway. Uh, but I still needed to include them in the column just because they're they're part of that equation. But yeah, I I'd want to stay as far away from them as possible early. Get your get get the team going, and then you know if, if you got to play them in the a- NFC Championship game, so be it. And it would be on your home turf. But still, it was a that's a team that I, look. I know the Saints can beat them. I know they match up well. You and I have talked about how well they match up over the years. I always like the Saints' chances defensive front against their offensive line. But still, it's the playoffs. Something kooky could happen. Hard to beat a team three times, even though the Saints have done it uh, in the recent history with Carolina. Uh, Tom Brady is a, is a different animal than maybe Cam Newton was at that point in time. I'm with you. I, I, if I'm the Saints, I don't want any part of playing the Bucks again just because of the way that last game unfolded. That had to be embarrassing for the Bucks. They played awful in that game. They played bad against the Saints in the first game. And I know the Saints had a lot to do with both those games, so I don't want to take anything away from their performance. But the Bucks now are playing much better, and they would have all kinds of incentive on their side. I see that as a no-win situation against you know, arguably the best playoff quarterback in NFL history. Uh, that's, a, that's definitely a matchup you want to avoid, if at all possible, till the, till the championship game, no doubt. Jeff, one more topic, and then we will uh, wrap up this edition of the Dump Gun Holder podcast. And it's a topic I brought up with you maybe a couple weeks ago when Drew Brees came back. Uh, I'm curious to see how much Taysom Hill gets involved in this offense. Probably not this week, but in the playoffs. I mean, how, how much do you think they could throw him in there more, whether it's not just running, but throwing the football and throwing new wrinkles into playoffs where people are, are, are going to be a little confused. I think it's one of the biggest things they have going uh, for them going forward. Uh, the, the fact that they can now incorporate him back into that role and throw that kind of uh, curveball at defenses. I, we, we saw, you know, I know Saints fans, everyone was upset when they went to Taysom Hill on the goal line instead of giving the ball to Camara, but that's been a very effective play for the Saints uh, overall this season, going to that quarterback power play. And it, it's going to continue to be their short yardage goal line bread and butter, absolutely no doubt about it. And that's also gotten overlooked a little bit, Larry. Taysom Hill in that package, it, the Saints' last four or five games have been very good in the red zone. Very good, exceptional, as a matter of fact, and largely because of Taysom Hill's, uh, you know, uh, work down there. It's not all him. I mean, they, they, they've also had some nice plays drawn up for Alvin Kamara. I mean, I don't know how many times he's scored standing up in the red zone. It's, it's uh, you know, ridiculous how many uh, touchdowns the Saints score standing up. That just doesn't happen very often. And it happens a lot with Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara. But that's an aspect that you're going to have to have going forward. They're going to have to score touchdowns. And I think having Taysom Hill also as a reliable, you know, his ability to throw deep, um, I think it's a huge, huge factor from going forward. I would agree. I think he's someone who can come in and, like I said in previous pods, he now gives you the ability to throw the football to. It doesn't have to be in a goal line situation. It, it could just be second and six. And you could do things if you want to run it or if you want to do a design pass play, you could certainly do it because I think he's he's capable of doing that. And so that is something that is up Sean Payton's sleeve 
to where you don't know what's coming at this point. And it used to know. Uh, and, and I think maybe right now it is all designed run plays on purpose. Like there's no point in saying, all right, let's throw, let's throw Taysom Hill. I think he's running him by design on purpose almost primarily. I think it is. I, I haven't looked, I'm, I'm, but I feel like I don't, rem- I don't remember seeing Taysom Hill even try to throw a pass since Drew Brees has gotten back. So uh, I think that is something that's certainly going to be up their sleeve. So that's going to wrap up this edition. Oh, go ahead. Hey, let, me, yep. let, me, let me interrupt real quick. Yep. One last thing. Go ahead. And I, I'm going to interrupt. I, I forgot to mention this earlier, Larry, and I wanted to mention it because it's one of these little nerdy things that I love to Nerds. research. But look, the 583-yard performance that they had against the um, against the Vikings has kept alive one one streak, Larry. It vaulted them all the way up in offense to number nine in total offense. Now, remember they were hovering around 16, 15 all season. Right. They were down in the teens. Well, this huge performance vaults them to number nine, which if they can finish it off and finish in the top 10 in total offense, it'll continue their streak under Peyton and Breeze. They've never finished out of the top 10 in total offense since uh, the Breeze-Peyton era began. So it's just a little nerdy thing, but something that I was keeping track of all season long. It looked hopeless there for a while. They were (laughs) 17th just a, a few weeks ago. And that huge performance got them back in the top ten. Well, it just goes to show you how good of a team they actually are because you're used to seeing them in the top five, and they're not. Yep. So that's uh, you keep up that nerd work, dude. I'm I'm I've got my nerd work. It's called the cheat sheet every week. That is like nerd central. Uh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, but uh, you, you keep up the nerd work too. So all right, now that will wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder <laughs> podcast. Of course, you can check out all of our podcasts, theathletic.com/slash Duncan Holder. Jump on there, subscribe. Uh, you get all of our great work at The Athletic, whether it's the New Orleans market or every market in the country. Uh, you have it all for your taking, and you can listen to the Duncan Holder podcast. Also, Apple, Spotify, if that's how you get your podcasts, you can rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a million to jump on the Duncan Holder podcast. So, all right, that's going to wrap it up. For Jeff Duncan, I am Larry Holder, and our next podcast will be in 2021. Thank baby Jesus, 2020 will be over. So for Jeff, for Larry, thanks for joining us here on the Duncan Holder Podcast on the Athletics Podcast Network.